10 years, a little, maybe a little under 10 years. Um, when I first met him, he was the kind of guy who would drag the living room couch onto the sidewalk and offer people shots from an unmarked bottle. Um, he has an uncanny ability to get himself kicked out of literally anywhere you can think of. Um, and he's also the person who brought me into AA. Uh, when I saw that he was six months sober and he invited me here, I came with him, and that's when I got sober, too. So Joseph has saved my life after 10 years of friendship, and I could not love anybody more. So with that... Uh, I'm Joseph, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey. Uh, That was a pretty good summary of my life already, but... uh, uh, I didn't think about what I was going to say. I don't do that when I chair meetings, and it usually works out okay. So I guess I'll start. I was born in Denton. Uh, I lived there about three years. Uh, I don't have a lot of memories of the place. I remember this really cool robot my dad got me uh, (laughs) that you could pour oil in the top of its head, and it had a little heat coil, and it would burn the oil and smoke would come out. My mom wouldn't let me keep it. She's very protective. Uh, so just bringing up, my mom has, was really protective. My dad was really awesome. Uh, <laughs> my mom's like the sweetest person in the world. Um, so I had pretty awesome parents. Uh, we moved to Martindale outside of San Marcos and when I was four, three or four. And... Uh, It was kind of an ideal childhood at that time. You know, we had two dogs and a bunch of land, and I just dicked around in the woods and brought bugs home and let the neighbor's dogs from an acre or two away into the house when my parents weren't looking, and then they'd get pissed off and kick them back out. So it was was a pretty good childhood, um, (laughs) I think. Uh, But when I was four, my dad... Uh, got diagnosed and pretty pretty quickly died of colon cancer. Uh, and I'm kind of going to bring this up, not because I think it's what made me an alcoholic, but um, it's something I didn't have the capacity to deal with uh, and didn't deal with very well until recently. Um, you know, it was kind of hard because was going through all these experimental chemotherapies at the time they were experimental and uh, so there'd be times where he uh, was just stuck in bed feverish hallucinating and uh, I remember like trying to play uh, tag with him and stuff like that and he wasn't even you know aware of what was going on around him uh, one time he told me he was going to pick me up from my Stephen Bonville's house and so me and my mom drove behind him uh, to get pick grab him when he got there, you know, uh, stuff like that. Um, the funeral and wake. I didn't go to the funeral, but you know, at the wake, I just hid in the closet. My family was all there, but people were like playing frisbee in the yard and having a good time, and I couldn't fucking understand how they could be happy when I felt so bad, you know. Um, and, uh, 
I guess that pattern just continued the rest of my life. I couldn't understand why people felt good because um, I had stopped feeling good uh, for a really long time, you know? Uh, my mom remarried uh, when I was 11, and uh, I, I took it personally, of course, because I'm an alcoholic. We take those things personally. Um, <clears throat> I would like scream when she kissed my stepdad in front of me and shit like that. I was pretty terrible to them. Um, it's like a combination of being really spoiled and wanting everything to be the way I want it. Uh, and this, uh, I don't know. I really don't know how to describe where it came from, but I guess it makes some sense. Uh, but I was just awful to him, and he was nothing but loving and compassionate, and he just wanted to be involved in my life, you know? I couldn't accept him for a long time. Uh, so, but after I moved to Austin, you know, I didn't, I, I had a bunch of friends, you know, I'd grown up with, and that all changed couldn't sleep at night because, you know, there were cars and lights and things like that. I wasn't used to the city. Uh, I felt like I just didn't belong anywhere I went or with anyone around me, you know. Um, and that persisted, you know, uh, through middle school, uh, into high school. And then I started taking Vicodin and it was fucking fabulous, you know. My friend had Vicodin. Valium was cool. Pretty much anything round or football-shaped or blue. Uh, not big into uppers. They just made me feel more anxious about people. But, uh, man, I could, like, cry in front of my, my, my couple of friends happily and laugh at the same time if you gave me a couple Vicodin. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I actually felt like I had let some shit out, you know? and be okay. Um, started drinking more. You know, this whole time I had been bullied because I was so socially awkward, you know, I didn't react to people. Uh, you know, you could tell I was just uncomfortable and people picked up on that. And a lot of times, you know, when I look back at it, they weren't really bullying me so much as they were just trying to get me to react, to, like, participate, to do something. And I couldn't, you know. Um, or I wouldn't, I don't know. Uh, but uh, that's how, like, the first third of my life went, you know, a little bit more. Uh, once I started drinking and started selling pot, shit got easier, you know? I had like a comfortable way to react to people. Do you wanna buy some pot? Do you wanna get drunk? You know, makes it really, really lubricate shit, you know? I have a, a, like a purpose, <laughs> kind of fucked up purpose, but a purpose. Um, <clears throat> still in like being in school, still in like the people I was around, just didn't understand them. Uh, so I dropped out of high school, got a GED. I think it was actually a good choice for me at the time. Uh, you know, I'd like wake up sick in the morning thinking about how I was going to spend the day at school. Uh, 
so it was a huge relief just not to have that many people around me that I just did not understand. Uh, I kept selling pot. I started selling cocaine pretty quickly because, you know, I don't want a fucking job. Uh, I still don't. Uh, <laughs> but I have one. It's really easy. Um, and... Uh, started hanging out with kind of worse and worse people, or people that were kind of where I was getting to. And uh, I remember there was this dude, Dino, and we'd buy cocaine from him. And he'd fucking shoot up in the bathroom with his girlfriend when I'm trying to buy coke, and then come out all high and have to go drive off somewhere. I hadn't even given him the money yet. I was just sitting on, on the couch watching the Discovery Channel. This guy disappears for like three hours, mm. you know. So that was frustrating and scary, you know. It's like me and two vatos watching fucking sharks or dolphins or whatever. <laughs> for yeah, for like a seventeen-year-old, it's not maybe the best situation, but uh, especially like me, you know, who's like a dorky white dude. Uh, but uh, I did that for a while, and then, you know, I started with the drinking, compounding, and, and, and all the other drugs, you know? It's pretty much anything for me works, kind of like Ima says, you know, whatever's in front of you, it works. Um, I started that thing where I have moral boundaries. You know, I was like a fucking dare kid before I took mm -hmm. Vicodin. <laughs> you know, I believed it. I was like, well, that stuff's going to ruin your life, and you can't, you know, don't, don't even try one smoke of weed marijuana. <laughs> <And> <laughs> uh, stuff like this. Um, but, you know, like one of the few people in my life that I could understand was smoking weed and taking Vicodin, so I was like, well, shit, you know. I believe him more than anyone else. Uh, and it worked great. But back to where, where I was, you know, after high school selling, I sold, well, I didn't sell. This 13-year-old kid from my neighborhood wanted some cocaine, and he gave me a $100 bill, and I didn't care where he got it from, but I took it and uh, bought some coke and did it, and never talked to that kid again. But uh, that's an example of where my morals were at the time, you know? Uh, I was doing him a favor and fucking him over at the same time, right? Because he probably stole that from his parents. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it was my girlfriend at the time or just, like, you know, there was a good person still. I wasn't, like, I hadn't been doing this that long, and I knew that it wasn't okay, and I stopped everything for like a year. Uh, I started taking classes at ACC, uh, started taking art classes, met some theater kids, and started really drinking because they were old enough to buy liquor. So I learned how to drink whiskey really well after you know a few sessions of vomiting all night and enjoying it. Uh, uh, but you know, the more I had access to alcohol, 
I guess that's why I say I'm an alcoholic. The more I had access to alcohol, once I could buy it on my own, that was the thing for me. And looking back, it's like I had easy access. It was really reliable. You know, I knew what a shot would do. I knew what that would do. And it was socially acceptable to a degree, um, especially if you do it at multiple places because people don't know how much you've had. Uh, and it just made me feel okay still. Like, I didn't, ha I didn't feel like I was a good person, you know, at that point. I had started out feeling like I, was, I could be a good person. I kind of fucked that up, you know selling drugs and all that. Um, so yeah, I just chased it. I just chased drinking for years. Fell into a relationship uh, where we, I don't think we loved each other, but we had that ideal in our head, you know, of what a couple should be. And so we stuck together even though I was awful to her. Uh, and kind of probably made her crazy, you know? Um, <clears throat> about three years in, she was done, and I was ready to just drink as much as I wanted to. You know, at that point, that's what I was doing. I was working at Home Depot, and I was drinking the rest of the time. And uh, she didn't like it, and I was fed up with her telling me that it wasn't a good thing. So I got an apartment. And an efficiency, a $400 efficiency. It was one room that I could fit a couch in, not a bed. And uh, uh, really, like, somehow got in. I still did well in school. I still did well in ACC. I had a 4.0 GPA, and I got into uh, UT. So I started taking classes at UT and drinking. Those were my two things. Got a Pell Grant to do it on, uh, <laughs> somehow. Uh, I looked good on paper still. I hadn't fucked up uh, legally yet. Uh, but it just let me, you know, I created a situation where I could do nothing but drink and had an excuse for existing. I was a student. That's pretty much why I was in school. Um, and I was sad all the time, but, you know, if you take a shot every hour, it kind of pricks you back up. And that's how I actually uh, aced my first semester when I studied. I'd read a paragraph out of the book, go to the kitchen, which is like five feet away from, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Take a shot of wild turkey, a double shot of wild turkey 101. Um, and then give myself like 30 minutes, see if I remembered what that paragraph was about and move on, you know? And it worked that first semester. It worked less and less. Because um, my focus, you know, I was, I was excited about school at first. And then I, like everything else, uh, it lost its charm. Uh, you know, the magic, the magic faded. Um, but I had a friend, uh, Zoya, who was like, you are living 
in misery, like you being by yourself is not okay for you. And she moved me into a co-op uh, that she lived in. Uh, and it was kind of badass. It was vegan, clothing optional, really cool people, you know, with a lot of different ideas. And I hadn't really met anyone except, you know, the sons of businessmen in North Austin. So it's like, oh, these people have some new ideas. This is actually interesting. And it kind of perked me up. Um, and I loved living at the co-op. There were like a shitload of great people. I met Ima there. But <clears throat> it was also like, you know, there was a shitload of partying, me partly responsible. That's where I would drag couches out of the living room uh, during finals week uh, onto the sidewalk and offer people shots on the way to their final. I'd tell them it worked for me. Uh, some people would stay with us, you know. It was pretty dumb. We'd let uh, <coughs> transients, like, stay on the porch or sometimes in the house and drink pretty much anyone that would drink with me and a couple of the other people from the house, we just like let them roam free. And it was pretty fucked up, honestly, in retrospect, it was really stupid. Because uh, they would steal shit, break people's shit. Um, and, uh, You know, but I didn't care. I just wanted to party. I just wanted to drink. And I kept just wanting to drink. Uh, after I moved out of the co-op, it was kind of just me again. Uh, after I graduated for a little bit. And that didn't look, that looked just as bad as it did before. I moved into a cult, a film cult. Uh that Ima got me involved in. She's been a problem. <laughs> She's my second biggest problem. Um, now, that, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but uh, it was, it was kind of weird. You know, I wanted to get into film. I went to school for film. Uh, and uh, this was an opportunity. But over time, it started being clear to me that we weren't finishing anything, that... Uh, we weren't making any money that Josie, I, 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 I don't know, I think she was taking a lot of amphetamines. She was having panic attacks. She was getting more and more violent. Uh, and it all kind of fell apart, you know. Uh, so then it was me again doing my thing. And... Uh, you know, I had this degree, I had this skill set, uh, and I look good during work, but afterward, you know, after a rap, there's a party, you have some drinks. I don't look that good at a rap party, you know. <laughs> I look like the worst person in the room, so I don't get hired for more jobs with the people I work with. I just kind of bounce, bounce, bounce. Uh, and I think it really held my career back. Uh, I ended up in Fredericksburg working on a conspiracy theory documentary uh, for two years in Motel 6. Uh, and it was right down the street from still my favorite bar in Fredericksburg. It's the only bar that doesn't play bluegrass. 
Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's when I started realizing I couldn't not drink every day. Uh, I was making more money than I'd ever made. And at the end of the year, I had to pay more in taxes than I'd saved. Because uh, I was drinking probably 25%, 30% of what I made every day. Uh, and that could have been a wake-up call. It shook me a little bit, uh, but it didn't work. Uh, when that ended, I came back to Austin. Um, oh, this whole time I was working at Burning Man every seasonally. I forgot to mention that. Um, that was actually a lot of fun. <laughs> buddy from the co-op had told me uh, there's a bunch of alcoholics who uh, party too hard and work too hard in the desert. You'll love it. I didn't know what Burning Man was. I loved it. There's free liquor for staff. We have staff bars that are donation. You're out there for six weeks. Very different rules for how people behave, especially with the crew. Um, you can't just kind of be an asshole and it's expected as long as you get your work done uh, to a degree. Uh, you can behave how you want. And uh, <clears throat> so that was pretty good for me. I actually felt connected to people. There were more people like me, you know. Um, but it would end, and I'd still be very feral when I came back. And so every time I came back, not only would I need to rebuild my career, but I'd also have to shake myself out of this and start acting civil. And uh, it was harder and harder every time to just treat people normally, kindly, you know, without a... Hmm. I don't know how to put it. But mostly to not just be able to be fucked up all the time. You know, I took acid for 30 days. Uh, and still got a bunch of work done and people were fine with it. So, yeah, that kind of nurtured me thinking I could get away with whatever I wanted. Uh, but that didn't work out. You know, I got a DWI. And then I got another one. And then I tried to get sober. I, I stopped drinking for, I went to IOP. And then I stopped drinking for about five, six months. Uh, but I was just working. Uh, I wasn't really going out. I uh, wasn't talking to anyone <laughs> except my roommates. And I was, I don't know, I felt neutral to miserable. And one day my roommate said, oh, I miss drinking with you. And that was enough, you know, like I was fucking fed up with being sober, even though I was still on probation and all this, um, which sucks. Drinking on probation sucks because you have to like look up the online calculator for how long it takes alcohol to process in your system and say, oh, I got to stop drinking at 1130 and I can only have eight drinks. And that is miserable. Planning your drinking is just as bad. You know, saying I'm not going to drink is just as bad as uh, just not drinking at all, honestly. Uh, 
when drinking is the thing that makes you feel good, it feels like you're choking yourself, you know? Um, so I got another DWI. Oh, I ruined a relationship in the meantime. Uh, my drinking started to look more like me being angry for no good reason or very little reason. Um, felt a lot of shame, felt a lot of, uh, you know, I was dissatisfied with the way my life looked at that point and I didn't really see it getting better and I would take it out on people when I was drunk. Uh, I wasn't physical, but I could be pretty fucking mean for no good reason. And it would surprise people because I'd be real happy until that one whiskey that let me really tell people what I didn't really think, but felt. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, this woman told me I was the love of her life and then she also couldn't be around me anymore. That hurt a lot. Um, I tried to blame everything except myself. Uh, and I kind of stopped drinking again for a very little time. Decided I could have a beer a day. Decided I could have a beer and a shot a day. Decided that I could have, fuck it, you know? Pretty quick. Um, this time I got a DWI. I was in a, 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 I caused a collision with another vehicle. I turned in front of a vehicle that was going straight. I turned left, um, caused a collision. Uh, and I guess it finally hit me that my shit wasn't the most important thing. You know, I could, could have really hurt them. Luckily I didn't. Uh, I was relieved when I got arrested. Uh, and then I was angry because I was still drunk. <laughs> but after being in jail for about a day, I, uh, stopped being angry and started realizing that this was the first time I had been not had a drink in 24 hours and I don't know how long, you know? Uh, and that I was either going to kill someone or live in jail or die and probably not fast enough. So, uh, you know, I'd been through IOP. I knew I was going back. Uh, and I was happy about that. So I, I didn't have a drink after I got out of jail. Um, I was like, either gonna go look at my truck or go to jail. I went to the impound and looked at my truck and it was, it had rolled. I didn't remember that. Um, the frame was ruined. There was shit, man. I had fixed this truck up pretty nice whenever I had been sober for five months. And so, you know, it looked like I'd just thrown that away. And I had, you know, I'd thrown that away. Um, so I got another of the same model from the year, year, year newer. Uh, and I fixed that one up. It was in worse condition than the one I'd had before, but not with a bent frame. Uh, I started working on that. It kept me distracted for a little while. I went to IOP, 
that was only eight weeks, not long enough, you know. Uh, and I started feeling like drinking again. And I came to a meeting here. I'd been coming to meetings and not talking, you know. Pro, you know, good starter move, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I knew I was, I was like, I'm, I'm probably going to start drinking again, and I don't want to. It didn't look good anymore. It never looked fun anymore. It felt embarrassing when I went to a bar. So I'd go have a drink at one and go to another one, go to another one, you know. So I was embarrassed to be out at all. Uh, but I came to a meeting here, despite, you know, all of my instincts. And uh, this guy, Jake, was my, my sponsor, was... Uh, Chairing it, and he said, "You know, I didn't want to come here. I'm not having a great. I'm not in a great mood. Something along those lines. I'm having a shitty day. It's probably more." Uh, and then we talked about not having to be religious and being in AA, and all of that worked for me. Um, I was like, "Okay, I can work with this guy. I also am not in a good mood, and if he can be sober and not be happy, or not be always happy." That's what I need, you know. Um, it was a lot funnier at the time than I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm usually making jokes. Um, I guess I haven't thought all this through in a while. But, um, yeah, he agreed to meet up with me. We met up, I think, the next day, somewhere around then. And... Uh, went for a walk and talked, and uh, I felt like I had convinced him I was an alcoholic and that I needed help, and uh, he started working the steps with me, and I felt a lot of relief from that, too, because I'd, I knew at that point that I wasn't going to stay sober on my own, and I was trying something new. Uh, and I don't know, man, it's been over a year. Uh, so, I don't know, that must work okay. Um, you know, I wanted to, I think this is a really sneaky program. I came in here to not drink. Uh, I didn't care how I felt anymore, you know. So I thought maybe I could not drink. because uh, that's what I used it for, was to feel okay. And, uh... Instead, like, shit started happening that had nothing to do with alcohol, you know? In quotes, it had nothing to do with alcohol. Um, I was at court waiting to find out what was going to happen with my DWI, and this kid next to me said, don't you get nervous at these? And I'd been meditating per suggestion for, like, the past hour, and I realized that I used to. And... Things started to change with the way I thought about life and the way I felt inside. And um, I also started listening to this podcast. I heard something really important to me that the only thing between ourself and another is fear. And the only thing that gets through that fear is compassion. So I started praying to compassion. I started meditating on compassion. Got some pretty cool visuals at one point in the bathtub, 
I'm not going to get into the details. But, uh, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, uh, I got this release that I'd never felt. Something let go. The way I felt wasn't the most important thing. And I started feeling more connected to other people. Um, I started feeling like I wasn't getting in situations so much as I was a part of the situation. Whatever was happening, I was there. It didn't matter what it was. All I could do was react in the best way, you know, whatever it was. So in court, I sat there quietly, let my lawyer do what he needed to do. And I didn't feel nervous, I kind of let go. You know, I think the first three steps really are kind of a way to stop trying to manage everything, stop trying to control everything, and just let go a little bit, you know. Um, that helped me so much because I'd always, you know, when I was a kid and I would freeze when people talked to me in a way I didn't understand, said something to me that caught me off guard, you know, um, and just locked up. It's because I was running so many ideas of how I should react through my head, and I did that with everything. Letting that go has helped me so much. Um, <laughs> But I don't know. After a year, you know, early on, I really just needed to be here all the time. I needed to listen. I needed to work the steps constantly. Now, I'm pretty lucky. Um, that r relationship I, I ruined, it just showed back up in my life. I didn't, I wasn't seeking anything at the time, and she called me and uh, had mentioned that she couldn't stop drinking. And I was like, go to AA. <laughs> look at me. <laughs> I don't know. She says she saw, uh, if I could get sober, then it must work, you know. Um, and I kind of feel that way. If I can get sober, it must fucking work. Um, That came back. My work life is a lot better, honestly. I have a job that I can do from home that's real chill, still kind of in film, with a lot less stress. Um, a lot of external things are better, but a lot of it is just because I'm not reaching for something else, you know? I'm not looking for something to the left. I don't know if I'm making sense anymore. Um, but I'm happy when I shouldn't be, I guess is the way I want, I want to say it. Like, things that stress me out, they don't stress me out the same way they do. I don't break down over a lot of the things that used to really just put me in a hole. Um, and if I get that way, I can say, hey, I'm fucking panicking to somebody, and they'll listen. You know, we have this group.
and uh, how much more time do I have? Too much. Uh, <laughs> any questions? <laughs> yeah, where are your shoes from? Where are my shoes from? Yeah, what size? Goodwill. Good nine and a half. Nine and a half. Sorry. Uh, Hi. Hey. What's your name? Joe. Hi, Joe. There's coffee, granola, and pistachios. Ta-da. Other than, other than quitting drinking, what would you say helped you overcome your anger issues? Hmm. You know, I'm not sure where, I'm not sure where that happened. I mean, definitely when I saw When I worked step four and I saw the way I'd behaved um, toward people and realized that a lot of my expectations were the exact, that I was, my, a lot of my resentments were the exact same things that I'd done to other people. You know, that kind of put me in my place. But even before that, when I got that third DWI, when I realized that my shit wasn't working, um, it humbled me a lot. It, it made me shut the fuck up and listen, you know? And so somewhere along the way, somewhere with the steps, <coughs> some lady started yelling at me about where I was throwing my mattress away. And uh, <laughs> and I thought to myself, wow, it must really suck to feel like that right now, you know, instead of getting mad. I don't know. So you were talking about with crying, and you felt like you were kind of living your whole life. It was hard to reconnect. Like, has that changed since you've been in AA, or is it just like a new thing where you have this AA persona? <laughs> I don't know. I think, I mean, I don't feel like I'm two different people with work. I don't work at Burning Man currently, um, partly because I really want to get this sobriety thing to stick, and that place is free staff bars and all the drugs you can eat, you know, um, to me. You know, other people have much better experiences there, but that's what it was for me a lot of the time. There was also like a huge social aspect that, you know, a group of people that I love, but I talk to them. I don't go there. Um, but being honest and grateful and humble and compassionate, you know, things that, you know, are suggested. Work and work too, you know, they work everywhere. So, yeah, I don't feel like I have to, I mean, it's a good point. Like, I don't have to be a chameleon. I don't have to act one way in one place and another way in another place to please people, you know. I just get to be myself as much as, as, as I can. Are we still in the Q&A right now? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, September 17th of last year. Good job. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to know if 
while you were working the steps for the first time if the grief from the loss of your father played into that and uh, was that something that that you had to like deal with again while you were getting sober in order to get sober or was it something you'd already put to bed you know it didn't that didn't directly show up but it 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 showed up as the way I had acted further down the line you know I found this well with my sponsor you know he pointed out this chain that I hadn't realized you know like I knew that I was addicted to my stepdad because of it right because because of some of those things but I didn't realize that the way I acted toward my stepdad showed up in my relationships with women, you know, that I, that I didn't realize, but it did, you know, that discomfort, some of that even distrust with relationships, the way I felt like at the early on that my mother had somehow betrayed the memory of my father mm-hmm. by remarrying that created some distress with me and everyone, you know? Um, yeah, that's a good one. I didn't, I don't think about that enough. Yeah. <laughs> always ask good questions. He's a good guy. Um, I just want to know, because you talk about a lot of like, all right, I'll, I'll, you were bad, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you said, but uh, what did your events process kind of look like? Can you shed a little bit of light on that? It looks like I haven't done enough of it. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I did some with family. I did some with people that are close to me, but I haven't done enough with people that it wouldn't directly benefit me. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I still need to work on. But I'm sober. So. <laughs> I think I've heard you share in this meeting before about anxiety, and did you find your most relief with anxiety in steps one, th- one through three? I think I got lucky with my my sponsor immediately asked me to start meditating. Um, and uh, honestly, Insight Timer has some really good stuff about um, about anxiety, but also just about like letting things go, you know. Um, a lot of my anxiety was built around me wanting a situation to go a certain way. And how do I manipulate it? You know, running mm-hmm. the gears to try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And just overwhelming myself until I couldn't even remember all my plots, you know. Um, so a big part of it is the first few steps as well, mm-hmm. you know. letting, Trying to let go of control. Yeah. Saying the situation isn't mine. Mm-hmm. I'm a part of it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, just because I asked because I have a, a huge deal on the table that's generational type wealth, and mm-hmm. these guys are putting me through the ringer and not responding to texts, not calling when they said they should be, and just kind of playing the game. I mean, they're experienced salesmen and highly successful, and it's just causing me such discomfort and discomfort discomfort within my company and it's causing a friction amongst us all because the foreign the four owners of the company are sober so we're all just kind of in this like psychotic mode of like 
what the fuck do we do? Mm. Do we call them? Do we text them? Do we harass them? Or do we just let go and let them come to us? Mm. So it's been a tough Combo couple of weeks. Especially you're talking about generational tech money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Very good. I lost count. Was that three DUIs or four? Uh, three. <laughs> Still waiting on, on the felony to go through, but I'll have it. <laughs> I'll have it. Uh, this may be redundant a little bit. I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but what was, if you could describe your process of like how you handled guilt and forgiving yourself and like what was your timeline on that and kind of what did what helped you or if if you got there but something you still still work on and kind of what you do or like maybe daily on it or whatever yeah um i mean it is still something that comes up there are things regrets that i have the way i've treated people the way i've behaved and they pop into my head you know just like they did before um one thing that gives me a lot of relief is just knowing that i don't allow myself to behave that way. That's been a big part of it. Um, I think to, you know, when I did my fourth step, I put myself on it at the end, you know, it was like, oh. I guess I will go into that. Um, <laughs> when, when I had the, uh, when I was meditating on compassion, I had this moment where Uh, it was a guided meditation and you were instructed to uh, visualize like yourself hugging people or like creating some kind of contact between people that you have issues with first people you love then people that you have issues with and then just you know builds and builds and builds and you know, as I was doing that, I was like, I haven't given myself a hug, you know, and I visualized that. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, um, it really helped me let a lot go. It was just some weird psychological thing in the moment, but. Um, you did Jedi mind trick. I Jedi mind trick, <laughs> yeah. I, I like this. I feel like this program is sneaky and that it will trick you into doing things good that are good for you, whether you like it or not, you know? And that's one of the things that happened. I think we're out of time. Mm-hmm. It's up to you, Ima. Uh, does anybody mind if we have some more questions? Okay. One more. All right, one more. Okay. Has your concept of your higher power evolved? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, a you know, it it has maybe in little ways, but I, for me, the simpler it is, the better it works. When I start to overthink it, it starts getting too niche, too specific. Nice. Um, so that could be evolution. It could. The simpler be. it gets. Yeah, maybe. Maybe yeah. How are you raised? You can listen to the podcast. Okay. Thank you. Cool. All right. Thank you all.